the pandemic has made many of our jobs a whole lot harder. This is especially true in public health. The Associated Press and Kaiser Health News have documented more than 300 state and local public health officials who've quit, retired, or been fired since the pandemic began, often citing burnout, politics, sometimes physical threats. I realized that I just couldn't imagine having another surge in me. And yet, applications to public health graduate programs have jumped 40% since March of 2020. It made me start to think about who I am and what I'm doing and how I can help. Today, we bring you a conversation between one person who felt she had to walk away from public health and another who heard the call and ran towards it. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Today's episode is going to be different from any other Tradeoffs episode we've done before. Instead of me interviewing a public health expert or digging into the research and data on this workforce, we're going to listen to a conversation our producer Ryan Levy set up between two complete strangers. Hi, my name's Jen Miller. I used to work for the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services in the Communicable Disease section, and my next venture will be working as a nurse in a local hospital in Montana. Hi, my name is Nicole Snyder. I'm a professor of chemistry at Davidson College, which is about 20 minutes north of Charlotte um, in North Carolina, and I'm currently in the first year of a master's in public health program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Oh, I'm so excited for you. You're going to have so much fun. (laughs) I'm excited too. It's a lot of work, but I'm excited. Jen and Nicole both share a lifelong love of chemistry. Nicole's started in her dad's garden when she was 10. I became very interested in, you know, what makes those plants grow. So he got me interested at a very early age. He bought a little pH test kit and allowed me to test the pH of the soils and see how the different plants impact the pH of the soil over time. Playing in that garden started Nicole on a path towards getting a PhD, a 20-year teaching career, and her own lab. Jen's path has been less of a straight line. I wanted to be a forensic chemist. That was my goal. Didn't work out. (laughs) I had one interview with the DEA in San Diego. Didn't go my way. That's all right. Instead, she pivoted to nursing working at a critical access hospital in eastern Montana before switching to public health in hopes of preventing people from landing in the hospital in the first place. The two women have a lot in common. They're both in their early 40s, established, successful, and passionate about their careers. But the pandemic has affected them differently, pushing Jen away from public health and pulling Nicole in. So we thought it'd be interesting to put them in a Zoom together, individual examples of nationwide trends, and hear what they have to say about how COVID has changed their outlook on public health and what questions and advice they have for each other. Jen asks the first question. Nicole, you're a chemistry professor and researcher, and by all means, it sounds like you're incredibly successful at doing so. So what made you want to pursue a career in public health? You know, for me, a career in public health is an addition to my career as a professor. Teaching and collaborating with undergraduates is my passion. And so for me, I actually don't plan to leave my position as a professor. But, you know, watching watching the television and uh, seeing military trucks that were moving 
uh, bodies of the deceased from hospitals in Italy really uh, impacted me in ways that are, it's, it's difficult to understand, but it really shook me. And it, it made me start to think about who I am and what I'm doing and how I can help. Um, and I felt like this would be a really great opportunity for me to be able to pursue my master's in public health so that I might be able to take my work, you know, from the bench top really out into the community. Yeah, what about you? I mean, how did COVID change your job? Because, I mean, you're on the front lines. It was concerning for me for the beginning. You know, it started with the phone calls constantly. Uh, when we first onboarded testing for COVID-19 at our state laboratory, uh, providers were required to call and request approval for testing to make sure they met criteria. So for weeks, all hours of the day and the night, my phone would ring. You know, on your call list uh, of your recent calls has 100 slots. And there for a while, it, it was maxing out daily. Wow. Yeah. People calling me and screaming at me saying, you want me to die of COVID. You won't test me because you want me to die. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I don't want anybody to die. Some of the other phone calls, I remember, remember uh, early on, COVID toes and COVID fingers were a big thing where their, their fingers would turn blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember a gentleman calling me. It was like nine o'clock on a Sunday night. And he said, my fingers are turning blue. I have COVID. And I said, okay, I can't do anything about your blue fingers and toes over the phone. If you feel like you need care, you need to seek it. And he just kept saying, you just don't care about my blue toes. And said, no, you don't understand. I I care very much. I just, there's nothing I can do about it. There were times where you felt like you were making a difference because you were finding the clusters, you were finding all the connections, you were finding where they came from, and you were stopping it. But it was such a powerless feeling, knowing that someone was suffering and not being able to really do anything about it other than to say, you need to contact your healthcare provider or seek care, and knowing that the healthcare infrastructure was incredibly stressed at the time. It'll be an experience that I've never, I'll never forget. Just curious, uh, do you feel like some of those perceptions um, that people had, you know, especially the negative perceptions, do you feel like those have increased over time or? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, there are people I'll never talk to again. One person in particular This was a man I had known all my life, that I grew up with his kids. And one of the big allegations was, you're just counting everybody who died during COVID as COVID, and that's not true. And I had explained to him prior, I said, look, I I, I do these death certificate reviews to, to ascertain whether or not COVID was actually a cause of death. So it was a personal affront to me to be told that we were lying. And a lot of people would say, you know, don't take it personally, they're just venting. I'm like, no, I I feel like I've got a, a dog in this fight. So I did cut off all ties with that person because he refused to back down on his statements of this being fraud. When we come back, what ultimately pushed Jen to leave public health, and Nicole shares her hopes and fears about entering the field. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. We're listening in on a conversation between Jen Miller, who used to work for Montana's State Health Department, and Nicole Snyder, a chemistry professor at Davidson College, who also just started getting her Master's of Public Health degree at the University of North Carolina. Here's Nicole. I mean, given some of these things that you've mentioned, is there one particular example, or is it really the culmination of of all of these things that you've talked about that have really helped to push you to leave public health? The event that really put me under was when COVID was starting to pick back up in July. I was trying to teach a class, which happens to be one of my absolute favorite things to do. I love teaching courses. Where do you teach? I didn't realize that you teach. Oh, I, I don't teach uh, in, a, in a college setting. What I do, I'm responsible for setting up training for all the local health nurses and sanitarians um, in regards to communicable disease control. So we were teaching our Epi 101 course for the new public health staff. During that time, COVID was starting to pick up again, and I was also responsible for the breakthrough disease surveillance. And then we also had a mass rabies exposure event involving bats that involved a very large number of people. And so I realized that I just couldn't imagine having another surge in me. It just wasn't worth the stress anymore. I really loved what I did. I really did. And it's just, I got to the point where I was starting to care less, which galled me horribly. And I didn't feel like I was serving at the capacity that I should be for my state, for my government, for the people that live here. And so it was time to step away. Do you think that there's um, anything that you or anyone else could have done differently that might have helped you to stay? I think there was a little bit of a culture of we're all stressed, you're just going to have to deal with it just from certain people, not everybody. So that is something that could potentially be addressed. But one of the biggest drivers was just the constant barragement from the public. I was tired of defending what we were doing to almost everyone who didn't work in public health. And I, that one, I don't know how to fix. That's, that's more than a public health system issue. That's a human issue. Yeah. Nicole, earlier you mentioned that you wanted to pursue public health because it helps you move out of academia and then more into the community sector. What, what does that mean to you and what does it look like? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a hard question to answer because as you know, as <laughs> I'm a month into this, right? <laughs> um, you know, when you're first breaking into a uh, career like this, right, it's hard to know, you know, what kind of opportunities are there to do this work. 
you know, as much as I enjoy what I do, this is an isolated job. Even if you're, you know, in front of a classroom of 200 people, being an academic can be a very isolating job. And getting out into the community uh, opens those doors. And I think, you know, as a, as a person who works at the bench, you know, we make many different fundamental research discoveries that are very interesting and that have long-term um, implications, but we're 20 to 30 years away from something that, you know, might actually be meaningful um, in terms of disease targeting or, you know, diagnosis and treatment. I think that's part of what's been been missing for me, right, is that, you know, kind of seeing that broader impact of, you know, the work that I know I can do actually play out in real time. I want to do more of that. I want to, I, I want to be able to make the kind of difference uh, that you have made. I appreciate you saying so. I, I hope to get there someday where I, I feel like I did make a difference, you know, not quite there yet, but, but hopefully someday I'll get there. <laughs> So you just talked about what excites you about going into public health, but what scares you, Nicole? I think what scares me the most right now is that um, in many ways it is a significant departure from what I'm doing now, right? Absolutely. I'm coming at this, you know, in my 40s. And so, you know, I'm trying to enter a new field with very limited experience, right? And so I worry about, you know, what that means long term for me to be able to establish myself in the field and do the kinds of work that I want to do. And, you know, some of the things that you've talked about, just the constant uphill battle of trying to get people to understand the importance of vaccination, right? The importance of masking, um, fighting these competing narratives, right? It's just making the job, the job is hard. It's, it is already hard. And so, you know, having these competing narratives, um, I, I think is just making that more difficult. And so um, I worry about the next pandemic, right? <laughs> and the things that we've learned about the ways that these diseases can, you know, move rapidly through our communities and how, you know, humans will inevitably, you know, respond to those in different ways and how that makes makes the work, you know, harder. Yeah, I think there's a there's a room to argue for the concept of uh, fresh horses. I, I think it's wonderful that there are a large number of people interested in entering public health. Uh, and I think for those who may be experiencing burnout, it's, it's good to have someone to bring up and take their place. So I, I admire your, your passion and the inspiration that you've had for this. Thank you. So I guess I've just got one last question for you, Jen. What advice do you have for someone like me who is joining the field of public health right now? Be passionate. Always be curious. Always be willing to turn over every stone. Love the people you're serving and dedicate your work to the advancement of public health science. And I think you're well suited to that. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to thank you for your service, and I wish you all the best in your new career. Jen just started her new job working as a nurse at a hospital in Montana, and Nicole is balancing her first semester in her Master's of Public Health program with her normal teaching duties. Nicole has already emailed Jen asking about the infectious diseases Jen worked on as Nicole begins to plot her own public health journey. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. 
If you enjoyed today's episode of Trade-Offs, remember you can keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for our newsletter. You can do that at tradeoffs.org. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod and most other social media. And we'd be eternally grateful if you gave us a rating or a review on whichever podcast app you use. The Tradeoffs team is producer Ryan Levy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Nora Tahiri, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks this episode to Annie Russell. Additional thanks to Hillary Nelson, Emily Patterson, Stefan Williams, Srilasia Reddy, Greg Holzman, Kelsey Johnson, Kayla Sandler, Meredith Welch, Kathy Slemp, Toria Debajo, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Hannah Naprash, Mark Zitter, and Patricia Meyer. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.